Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, before there were roads, there were paths and trails, ways, uh, ways to get through the natural world from one place to another. And today, we're more likely to walk a trail to reconnect ourselves to nature and to regain and celebrate a sense of place. And this morning, I'm very happy to welcome some guests in the studio who can help us see that picture, um, experience that a little bit um, by their own work to connect trails and towns. Um, we have in the studio with us Mike Little from Island Heritage Trust, Deer Isle Stonington area. Welcome to you, Mike. Good morning, Ron. We also have Stephanie Clement. Welcome back to uh, Talk of the Town. Stephanie is with Friends of Acadia, and uh, we'll be talking about a little bit about the Village Connector Trails that they're working on. Welcome. Good morning, Ron. Thank you. We also have in the studio with us Paul Johnson. Paul is, is a retired f- fisheries biologist, but he's now um, working um, with a nonprofit called Maine Woods Forever um, up in the Greenland, uh, Gr- uh, Greenville and uh, Millinocket areas, those kinds of areas. Statewide. Um, statewide, Maine Woods Forever. So welcome to you, Paul. Thank you. First, maybe each of you could um, describe um, yourselves and your organizations a little bit uh, to give our listeners a sense of, of where you're coming from, uh, so to speak. Mike, could we start with you? Oh, well, happy to. Uh, the Island Heritage Trust is the land trust for Deer Isle and Stonington. Uh, we cover the the island of Deer Isle and the archipelago immediately surrounding it out into uh, the east side of Penobscot Bay. Um, we have uh, um, eight preserves on Deer Isle with that have walking trails on the preserves, which are more or less nature trails. Uh, we uh, own 462 acres, uh, all of, including all or part of eight islands, and all of that is open to the public, and there's another 200 acres that belongs to, that belongs to the Nature Conservancy and the state of Maine that we co-manage on the island. Uh, we also hold easements to protect natural and scenic areas and uh, shore resources, uh, both access for the public. We have a couple of beaches that the public use, but also access for clamors and other shellfish harvesters. Mm. And how about your own background? How did you get into this work? <laughs> uh, I got into the I, I got into this work by a cha- by a, a midlife crisis. You know, I got tired. I, I was a carpenter contractor for twenty plus years, and decided I was tired of that. And I'd been worked with the Boy Scouts and been outdoors all my life. And I went back to school and got a degree in environmental management, and uh, and was lucky enough to uh, land a job in an environmental education center in Vermont where I was living at the time. But I grew up on the coast and. Vermont's lovely, but you, when you know, <laughs> if you've grown up on the coast, uh, that something about sea air. Uh-huh. So, uh, and then I worked my way back to Maine. I got back to Bel. I came over to the Belgrades, and I was there for eight years. And then this opportunity opened up on Deer Isle, and my mother said, "You can't get much closer to the uh, the ocean than that." 
Great. I don't think so. It's on all four sides. Great. Well, we'll come back to you in a moment and talk a little bit about some of the work that you're doing to, to do more trail work. Uh, Stephanie, uh, tell us a little bit about um, Friends of Acadia and your own background, how you got involved. Sure. Well, Friends of Acadia is a nonprofit organization located in Bar Harbor. We're about 25 years old and have just over 3,000 members. Um, our mission is to preserve and protect and promote stewardship of Acadia National Park and the surrounding communities, um, really for the inspiration and enjoyment of, uh, of visitors and residents alike. And uh, we primarily help the park in three ways. One is through cooperative programs like trail building, volunteer management, um, the Island Explorer bus system. Uh, we also raise money and make grants to the park. We have several large endowments that we hold um, that benefit the trails and carriage roads maintenance programs at the park. Also things like wheelchair accessible carriages, um, the Youth Conservation Corps, those sorts of things. And then we also help the park through advocacy. We try to fight threats to the park. We try to bring funding from Congress to Acadia National Park, which is always a challenge. And um, so it's a great group of people who are passionate stewards of, of the park. And I, I guess I am so lucky to be a part of the organization because my first hike was of South Bubble. And um, my family had distant ties from generations ago to um, well, my great-great-great-grandfather was a cooper on Islesford and decided that Seal Harbor looked like a pretty good place to settle. So he was, uh, one of, he was the first homesteader there. Um, and we added on and added on over the years, and it became an inn, the Seaside Inn. Um, so my dad spent all of his summers working at the inn, so it was an, which is now gone, but it was a natural destination for us as a family. And so Acadia has always been in my heart. Great, great. Um, and how about you, Paul? You, as I said, you got started um, in your work um, with uh, fisheries biology. Um, how, did, how did that translate into then Maine Woods Forever? I was very fortunate to have a career, 35-year career, working fish, fish and wildlife in Greenville on Moosehead Lake and the headwaters of the Penobscot and Kennebec Rivers. So I had plenty of opportunity to be out in the woods and the waters of the Maine woods to see its many values and its many uses and became very interested in, in conservation of this resource. Initially, uh, I was involved with the Natural Resource Education Center in Greenville, after I retired in 2005, we, my wife and I moved to be closer to our children, so we moved to the center of the state, where I became involved with Maine Woods Forever, uh, which is a nonprofit, small nonprofit organization. We're dedicated to protecting the legacy of Maine's iconic woodlands. Mm. And we're interested in promoting conservation of natural resources. We try to find common ground with diverse peoples over the use and management stewardship of these resources. And we work with others to designate exceptional things and, and places. Um, our throw Abenaki Trail being one of our projects. Mm. Uh, we host roundtables, three roundtables a year, where we bring together groups uh, to talk about conservation issues of the day. And this gives these folks an opportunity to network small organizations in a lot of cases. I mean, we all know the Maine Audubons, the Natural Resource Councils, but there's so many other groups out there, uh, such as Friends of Acadia that, that, and Friends of Baxter. And, and So we try to bring these people together for discussions three times a year. Uh, and then, as I said, uh, we have heritage product projects recognizing outstanding resources. And the first project was the Thoreau-Wabanaki Trail, recognizing the routes that Henry David Thoreau followed in his three trips to Maine in the mid-1800s. But as we, we developed this concept, it became very apparent that the, the paths of travel throughout northern Maine were not limited to the woods. They were limited to that. They also included the waterways. And there's a tremendous Native American heritage along the waterways since the inception of the birch bark, birch bark canoe. Um, so what we're trying to do is, is make people aware of this and protect this. The neat thing about Thoreau's travels in Maine is you can do it today and experience much the same things and see the same things that he saw 155 years ago. Mm, mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Going to have to have a cup of tea here. <laughs> well, Mike, let's let's um, go back to you and, and um, get a little bit more background in terms of, of the work of, of Island Heritage Trust and trails. Um, as you said, you're an uh, um, organization that's that's uh, been around for a while, um, started with some of those traditional things like easements and so on. Yep. Um, wh when did the, the idea of, of trails um, strike you? I, as you said, you have trails on your individual preserves. Well, um, early on, we're, 
We want to get, let's see, how to phrase it. Uh, people, if you want people to protect nature, you need to get them out there into nature and they need to be able to experience it. You know, uh, you've got to, if you can't walk a trail, if you can't get out and touch it and smell it and feel it, um, you're not going to get the support. So IHT recognized that early on. So all, all of our preserves have had trails systems on them. Uh, sometimes the trails are there to keep people away from maybe a sensitive area so that to guide, but so people can get out there. Uh, and that's how you get some of your early volunteers because oh, people like to build trails. <laughs> Anytime people, people say, you know, we want to ask for volunteers, people say, what trails are we building? You know, they want to mm. build trails. Mm. Uh, and then there's been discussion, I think, from early on in the organization about longer distance trails because the island's small, our parcels are small, so you, you can't get any distance. And there were some cross-island trails looked at early on. I, I went back through some of the older uh, minutes and records and found some talk about various other proposed longer distance trails to try and connect, you know, maybe go cross-island from one cove to another. Um, but and we're talking uh, distance of, of maybe up to 20 miles, no more than 20 miles. The, uh, yeah, the island is, uh, to, uh, what, 12 miles long and 6 miles wide. Well, if you go all the way out to Sunshine, it, it, we're kind of scattered, but right. it's, uh, we don't have great distances we can go. Uh, and, but then this, uh, about a, a little over, about a year and a half ago, uh, one of the fellows, a, folks, a fellow that lives on the island approached me at the farmer's market and said, I've got an idea. What, you know, what would you guys think about working to put a trail from Stonington to Deer Isle Village? And I said, that sounds like a great idea. Let's talk. So we got together and we formed a committee. And we've been, as we've been talking about this, we found out that there used to be a whole network of trails that connected each cove and the, each village on the island. And people have come forward and said, I can remember walking those trails. Or, um, and one woman who joined the, the, uh, the committee said, you know, the trails that she walked as a child, some of them have houses in the middle of them now. <laughs> so yeah, right. the, the, it was there. It's a memory. There are logging roads still in the, in the interior. A deer Isle, um, think about it, the, it's developed around the, 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 the highways go around the edges. It's developed on the edges. The interior of Deer Isle is still heavily forested. Um, so there, there's lo active logging going on. So there's logging trails in there and old roads, and people use those for cross-country skiing, and uh, some, some uh, mountain bikers go out there. But there's no, there's no system and there's no set way to get from here to there. Uh, and so this uh, idea became, let's try and put something together uh, that would get so we could get from Stonington. Well, they said Stonington to Deer Isle Village. Well, let's try and, the high school. Well, now we're talking about going to the causeway. If we eventually causeway kind of brings the causeway yeah, between the Little Deer and, and right. yeah, so right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, the causeway that brings people onto Deer Isle. So mm -hmm. it would be from basically from uh, one end of the island to the other. That's the long-term dream goal. Uh, we're 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 kind of we're trying to start small. We're trying to we're, there's a, a preserve on the on the town line between Stonington and Deer Isle that belongs to the town of Stonington. So we've talked to the town about using that as a starting place because we can go both ways. And uh, so you had some inspiration from within the community uh, to do this, some history of, of doing trails on your own own property. Were there any other inspirations to, to think about kind of an island uh, connected by trails? Uh, well, I think there's the whole there's the whole trail thing in the in America now that these trails they was the East Coast Greenway and mm -hmm. the bridge they just built over the main turnpike. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people are thinking about walking, biking. Mm. Uh, at the moment, we're biking is in the back of our minds, but what we're walking working with right now is starting sm starting simple and with a footpath walking trail, and then if we can later incorporate part parts that will be suitable for bicycles. We, we certainly hope to do that. But mm -hmm. right now, it's, we're, we're in a walking trail mm -hmm. phase. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, then, then, well, one of your, your, your later guests, we, uh, we, t we went to George's River Land Trust because mm -hmm. we knew that they had done something along the lines of what we were talking about. Because what we're going to do is going over all private property. So we had to figure out how do we talk to... Um, the property owners. And one of our board members had been uh, involved with a land trust down in Massachusetts that had done a trail system around their town. 
uh, over private property. And in that case, it was all legal and, and trail easements and, you know, lawyers drew up agreements. And we were thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a, a big headache. And then we talked to George's River, and they, they have quite a different system. They Basically a handshake. It's more, it's more Maine, mm. you know. But, you know, people can use your property as long as they don't, uh, right. don't harm it, right. as long as they respect it. Right. So that's the direction we're heading now. And we have permission from two property owners to, that would allow us to get the first section of the trail in place from the ta- uh, town of Stonington's Hope Mill Pond Preserve to a preserve that the I- uh, IHT owns that has been very underused. It's in the middle of the island, so it's... For the island, it's remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most of the world, they, they wouldn't consider it very far away. But uh, and so we can connect two two points. So now we're now we're starting to talk about it out in the public. And, and what what um, where what drew those landowners to uh, volunteer their land? Do you suppose what inspired them to to get involved? Uh, well, <laughs> one of them is an old islander. And he says, well, he says they've been making snowmobile trails and other trails across my land, and nobody even asked my, my permission. <laughs> so you guys are asking. Right. So uh, that was – and the other one was, a, was a, somebody who came to Deer Isle apparently in the 70s, loved the island, bought a piece of land, and then as I talked to him on the phone, he said, then things changed. He said, I haven't been back in 20 years. Mm-hmm. He owns this parcel. He said, it sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, – he wants to come up and walk the trail when we get something going. Right. And I think one of the things that you said in your introduction was that Island Heritage Trust has always seen um, land um, that is um, managed by you or owned by you as something that's for the public. That's, that, that's our goal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the, sometimes people wonder about easements. Well, a lot of our easements are scenic easements because part of being down east is... It, being able is to the see. view is the, right. you know from the water or or from the road, mm-hmm. and if we don't preserve these, you know if we if we build a house on every one of those views, we're not going to want to live here. <laughs> so well, uh, let's let's um, hear from Stephanie. Stephanie, um, um, you and Michael Little both have heritage that that in terms of of, of the park system started in Massachusetts. The trustees for public reservations. Um, that's the origins of, of Acadia National Park. Um, so we sometimes borrow ideas <laughs> from other places. Um, trails were always part of Acadia, weren't they? Absolutely. Trails, uh, beginning with the rusticators back in the 1890s, uh, they were people who ha- came to Acadia or came to Mount Desert Island at the time um, lived with the fishermen in the area, painted, uh, and the Hudson River School really made Mount Desert Island in our area famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tourism really began as a result of seeing how beautiful that area was. Um, tourists start, started arriving. Um, one of the pastimes was to walk uh, uh, across the island. And uh, the village improvement associations and village improvement societies Found it had pathmaking committees who built many of the trails in Acadia National Park, and you won't find construction standards like those in many places across the country. Um, they really paid attention to detail, used marvelous granite steps and granite landscaping. Um, so it's a really a, a wonderful trail system, and much of its origin was across private lands as well, because uh, the history of Acadia National Park is that all of the land, or most of the land in the park, was donated um, by private individuals or purchased by individuals. Yeah. So, um, so it's really it's an historic trail system unlike anything else. And today, I just want to add too that you can still see many of those uh, village trails as well that are maintained still by the village improvement societies on the island. They're the community trails that may have uh, an arrow pointing into the woods. Uh, looks a little bit different than Acadia National Park trailhead. So I remember as a kid driving along in the back of the station wagon, seeing these arrows pointing off into the woods and going, oh, my gosh, where does that go? <laughs> you know, it's so exciting. Right. So, yeah. right. so the, the people have always wanted to walk. Um, uh, before, they had to walk, I mean, you know, before automobiles and things, but they've always wanted to walk, and so these village improvement societies really fostered the idea of, of local trails. 
Most definitely. And uh, a, a great example of that as well, our inn used to sit in the field um, across from the Seal Harbor Beach, uh, the Seaside Inn, and there was a seaside path that uh, walked straight to the Jordan Pond House, and the people who stayed at the inn would then spend walk. Uh, it's not very far, but it was maybe a mile and a half uh to the Jordan Pond House, have tea, and walk back to the inn. Mm -hmm. So there mm -hmm. really was quite a history of taking your picnic and going for a, a stroll mm -hmm. through the park. So, so we fast forward to um, after the park has been created, and then more recently, um, probably in the what the late 80s or so, the, the boundary was kind of fixed. Correct, yeah. Um, so the Acadia National Park is, is intact in, in ways. There may be inholdings that, that are still there. But um, So Friends of Acadia then comes along and says, well, maybe we still you know, there's trails in the park. Maybe we still need to boost the kind of connection between the villages and the park. That's right. And um, really building on this legacy of these village trails, we decided to implement a program called the Village Connector Trails. Um, and it, in the early 90s, we um, embarked upon a program called Acadia Trails Forever, which was a, a major fundraising initiative um, to raise money for both the restoration of Acadia's existing trails, also to build um, new village connector trails that um, the purpose is really to provide the ability to walk from the village directly into the park. There are also some historic trail routes that were restored as part of this Acadia Trails Forever program. And we also established an endowment in, mm. in perpetuity. There will be funding that comes off of that to help the park maintain a rigorous uh, trail maintenance system. But we committed under Acadia Trails Forever to build five village connector trails, and we've just finished our fifth. So it's an exciting accomplishment. Um, it, and we the trail, the first one we built was the Great Meadow Loop, which goes from right downtown Bar Harbor out to the Sertimal area, or it connects to the Jessup Path, which continues on to Sertimal. Um, and that's used by a lot of dog walking, running, uh, skiers, snowmobile, or not snowmobiles, snowshoers. Um, we also, uh, and the last trail, we built a multi-use connector trail over in Southwest Harbor um, that does allow for horses, bicycles, and snowmobiles. Um, we just finished the Schooner Headpath, which was a portion of a historic trail and also a new connection right to the old farm area where George B. Doerr had his estate um, and then our last trail, which we are going to inaugurate on National Trails Day in June, is um, the Duck Brook Connector, which really goes from uh, College of the Atlantic and the Acadia Inn and the um, uh, Bar Harbor Motel area, and it connects up to the Duck Brook Road, which then you can follow the Duck Brook Road to the Duck Brook Bridge area on the carriage roads. Mm. And that was a social path that we wanted to try to improve to the point where we could put it on the maps and make it something that the park considered a legal connection. Mm. So, Because people were, were, were sneaking <laughs> through the, so some of those areas anyway because right. – there were so many roads that they just wanted to get out into the park. Precisely, especially bicycles in that yep. area. And this trail will be open to people walking their bicycles. We still don't want people riding their right. bicycles, but they're allowed to walk their bicycles right. up to the carriage roads right. area. Great. And then um, you're doing some work in, in off the island in Trenton. That's correct. We This is not considered a, a village connector trail, but it's considered a community trail. Um, it will connect to the Acadia Gateway Center, which is the new... Uh, it, well, there's right now there's only the maintenance center portion of the Acadia Gateway Center that's been built, but the long-term plan is to have this facility be a visitor center, welcome center for both the Chambers of Commerce and the park, um, and an opportunity for people to leave their cars behind and ride the Island Explorer from Trenton into Acadia National Park and Bar Harbor and the surrounding communities. Um, but we've been working with a group of uh, really excited, uh, heavily involved citizens who have, we've been building a 1.8-mile loop back there behind the maintenance center at the Acadia Gateway Center site. There's going to be continued work on that all summer long. Um, we've contracted uh, with a, a gentleman who builds trails to actually do the heavy-duty work, the things like building the bog walks, and there'll be a platform overlooking a heath in the middle of Trenton, or I should say Haith. Um, and so it's going to be a great recreational resource for the town, but also an educational resource, we hope, as well. Great, great. Well, we'll come back um, to you. Let's uh, talk a little bit more with uh, with Paul Johnson. Um, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about connecting trails and towns. You've just heard from Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia, and also in the studio is Mike Little of Island Heritage Trust. Um, next, we'll talk a little bit more with Paul Johnson of Maine Woods Forever. Um, tell us a little bit about the origins of the Thoreau-Wabanaki Trail in terms of Maine Woods Forever. I mean, Thoreau 
did this 150 years ago, so that's the origin. But tell us a little bit about your involvement. Maine Woods Forever has taken on this as, as a heritage pro- project, to basically to, to celebrate the, the Maine Woods and Thoreau's involvement along with his Penobscot guides. Mm. Uh, unlike the community trails that, that we've heard about so far, this is really a long-distance trail. Uh, Thoreau's three travels started in Bangor. His first travel in 1846 went up the Penobscot, Main Stem, then the West Branch, and he climbed Katahdin. Uh, his second trip, and then returned back to Bangor. His second trip, he went from Bangor to Moosehead Lake to Greenville, up Moosehead, down the West Branch to Chisuncook, and, and actually was moose hunting on that trip, and returned to uh, Bangor. And his third trip in 1857, he made the Grand Loop, starting in Bangor, took took a stagecoach to Greenville, up Moosehead Lake in a canoe, down the West Branch, carried across into what's now the Allagash Waterway. Chamberlain went to Big Eagle, then worked his way down through Telos, Webster, Matagam, and down the East Branch and back down to Indian Island where he dropped off his guide and, and, and then ended up in, in Bangor. Mm. So it's really a long-distance trail. We're, we're not trying to in, encourage anybody really to, to do the whole thing, but what we want to do is make people know, let people know that this is available. You can still do a lot of these things. Mm. Uh, you can put a canoe in in, in Greenville. Uh, there are campsites in Moosehead Lake. Um, and really the unprecedented access to public land to land in the north woods it's all been privately owned over the years more and more of it has come under public ownership and, and easement but but over the years through the graces of the landowners the public has been allowed access mm. to this and so today you can you can travel in moosehead you can camp overnight at many sites on moosehead lake for free you can follow thoreau's path past you can climb kineo he camped on kineo you can climb kineo that is public land now there's a an old quarry there that Native Americans used for thousands of years to make tools. Uh, you can carry across from Moosehead, the old Northeast Carry, which was a route of commerce for the Native Americans. It was an access into the woods for the early loggers, trappers, hunters. Mm. You can, down the West Branch, there's a wonderful salmon fishery down the West Branch in the fall that I partake in, in a few times. Um, not too many people do the travel across from Umbazooksis to uh, to, to uh, Chamberlain at the Mud Pond Carry. Um, it, 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 today, it's pretty much as described by Thoreau. It was, it was pretty wet, pretty muddy, pretty buggy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, of course, the Allagash Waterway, which is, is a state, state-owned resource now. And um, down the east, the uh, Webster Stream is in Baxter Park. Matagammon is in part in Baxter Park. The Penobscot Nation owns a lot of land. Uh, Maine Woods Forever has undertaken a, a campsite enhancement project on the East Branch to to improve some of the campsites there. We are producing a sectional map of the trail that's going to cover from Matagammon down to Whetstone Falls, highlighting the, on one side, it will, there will be a map showing people the, the various campsites and, and things to look at along the way. But on the other side, there'll be history um, and describe the portage routes. The... East Branch section of the Thoreau Abenaki Trail parallels closely the, and actually we use part of the International Appalachian Trail for the portages around some of the falls in the East Branch. East Branch is a pretty rough section of the stream requiring six or eight portages. Mm. And those portages are along the International Appalachian Trail. Mm. And, and earlier on in the Thoreau Abenaki Trail, we actually follow the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. So w- we have partnerships with another, another other agencies or organizations involved in the long-distance trails. Ours happens to be more of a waterway. Mm-hmm. We've, we have kiosks. Uh, we have a kiosk in downtown Greenville explaining the resources specific to, uh, to the lake. Uh, we, in our initial celebration of the trail in 2007, we had a festival weekend at which we dedicated to sculptures, which are now located outside the history for... Uh, Moosehead, the Center for Moosehead History in Greenville. We're working with the Penobscot Nation and another kiosk on Indian Island. Um, and we do have a map that was published in 2007 outlining the whole trail, and it's available online at our website. That's great. Which uh, I can give at some point. Yeah, we'll do that at yep. the end. Um, and, and what has been the reaction? Um, what kinds of folks have, have uh, been in touch with you or been in touch with Maine Woods Forever? Do you have a sense of, of how the public and, and maybe some of the communities are responding to the, the idea of a trail? 
The uh, In Greenfield, the Thoreau Wabanaki Trail Festival has been continued every year since 2007. Uh, this year, I believe it's the 28th of July, that weekend. Uh, so the community has embraced it through, and the organizations up there. Uh, every once in a while, we'll, we'll get either a phone call or an email message from somebody who, who has seen this online or heard about it, wanting more information. Uh, last summer, a, a graduate student from Washington and Lee University down in, in Virginia contacted me, had, had heard about it, got my name, and he came, actually came up last summer as part of his senior thesis project. Uh, he canoed parts of the trail and photographed it and is writing a, a paper about it. Mm. Uh, I've just received uh, an email message from somebody who wants to make a trip down the East Branch this uh, this coming spring to, to fish. So mm. word is getting out. Um, we, we haven't really gotten the word way out, but I, I think slowly but surely, and as we develop more sectional maps, people will become more and more aware of the trail. Right. And this map, um, we should say, is is not just a map. It's just not lines on a paper, but there's some real history there as well. It's a map and guide. On mm -hmm. one side, it shows all of Thoreau's routes in Maine, where he camped. There, there are a lot of quotations from, from the Maine woods. On the other side, there's a lot of history uh, written by Professor Judd, the uh, University of Maine about Thoreau's travels in Maine and something from James Francis and the Penobscot Nation about the Wabanaki traditions mm. associated with the trail. Mm. So I agree totally with what Mike said that it's very important to get people out there to experience it and that's what drives stewardship and the need to conserve it. Mm. And, and through this education we hope to encourage people to get out and experience what Thoreau actually experienced. Great. Great. We'll come back to, to all of you in, in a minute. We're going to go now um, to a, a phone interview with Jay Assel. Uh, Jay is, is with the George's River Land Trust. Um, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Jay. Thanks, Ron. Happy to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about George's River Land Trust and, and uh, how it got started, and, and uh, then maybe your own background. How did you get started with this? Sure. Well, uh, the George's River Land Trust was started in 1987. Uh, a group of concerned citizens in the area um, were interested in uh, looking for ways to protect uh, what they thought were really significant aspects uh, to the Midcoast region, uh, formed a land trust, which, of course, is based on uh, conserving land, um, in our case, particularly around the St. George River, which uh, its headwaters are in Liberty and Montville and uh, run a stretch of 51 miles to the uh, outlet uh, in St. George, uh, out into Muscungus Bay, which is just south of Penobscot Bay. Mm. Um, so that's our that's our primary focus is land conservation. Uh, how I ended up here, um, I'm a native Mainer, although I was transplanted in Boston for about uh, 10 or 15 years, <laughs> and uh, I'm not too proud to admit that. Uh, <laughs> well, however, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> just going out to our listeners. It's all right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, however, I knew that I always wanted to come back to Maine, and as I was finishing up uh, my graduate program in Boston uh, in environmental planning, I jumped at the opportunity to uh, to come back up to Maine um, into this position with the George's River Land Trust, overseeing our conservation properties as well as our conservation trails program. And so, um, the the trails uh, have the have trails always been a part of George's River Land Trust uh, work. Nope, they haven't. Uh, so we were started in 1987, and then about a decade later, in 1995-1996, uh, there became an interest within the land trust to uh, find out ways to encourage the community to get more involved uh, in conserving land, getting more interested in conserving land, raising the awareness of the work that the land trust was doing. Um, and a typical land trust would do that uh, by having trails on their own properties, properties that they owned. Um, we didn't, at that point, didn't have a lot of property on which to do that. Uh, we also were aided greatly uh, by having legendary Dave Getchell Sr. Uh, living in our area, who, um, for many of your listeners, probably recognize the name as one of the instrumental uh, people involved with the development of the main island trail. So he was in our area. Uh, they started talking around tables about how can we get people out into the landscape uh, and developed, basically took what had been developed with the Maine Island Trail, which were these handshake agreements with private landowners, um, took that from the water and applied it to our area. Uh, and to make a long story short, they sought places where they could get permission from landowners to cross their property, build a trail, 
uh, get members of the public out into the watershed in areas that they otherwise wouldn't have access to um, as a way to show off the natural beauty, um, tell people and show people uh, what we have in this area and kind of instill that conservation ethic in them uh, by way of trails, which uh, I think is what Paul was just talking about as well. I heard Mike speaking about it a little bit earlier. Mm. And and you've got an interesting um, kind of geographic situation in that um, our roads, um, Route 1 along the coast and Route 3 that goes over um, from Belfast to Augusta, um, kind of uh, put people who drive those roads in a, in a situation they don't recognize they might be part of the same watershed. That's right, exactly. And especially if you're driving through it, they look very different. If mm. you're up on Route 3, it's uh, a little bit more mountainous up at there. Uh, however, when you're traveling al- along Route 1, of course, you've got the uh, the ocean on one side of you that kind of dominates the scenery, so they look very different. And so um, I know that um, as you talked about the, the trail system, you talked about the George's Highlands. How, how did that come about? Do you remember? Do you know, know that story? I do, yeah. So we have uh, the initial thought was let's just put a trail along the St. George River. Uh, that became a little bit uh, difficult once you delved into it because most of the uh, residential development uh, happens to be along waterways. Uh, which makes that mechanism of handshake agreements a little bit more difficult because there's so many landowners you would need to get permission from. Um, so then the thought was, well, let's bring it up into the highlands of the area where uh, the nature of land ownership is different than where you're, uh, what you have in congested areas. Um, so there was thoughts of having a, a hiking trail, um, but also uh, thinking more broadly about it uh, as part of the conservation trails program. We also have a byway, which is a, a vehicle trail um, that travels along select roads and shows off the watershed. We also have a bikeway um, with some uh, some road bike, biking loops uh, that also show off parts of the watershed. Um, and then the kind of third aspect of that right now is the hiking trail. We'd like to add a fourth aspect, which would be an actual water trail. Um, we've talked about that for numerous years, and we're still trying to tease out what that's actually going to look like, um, not only on paper but on the ground. So it's, again, if you if you um, used both your feet and a canoe, you could um, experience the whole watershed. Yep, you could. And uh, actually, uh, to my knowledge, the the only group that has done that uh, that does that now is. Uh, for Tanglewood 4-H camps in Lincolnville, they have a, a what they call Leadership 2 uh, group of students during the summer, and they take a week, uh, week to eight days to travel the entire length of the St. George River from the headwaters up in the Fry Mountain area. They start out on foot, um, traveling along the George's Highland Pass, uh, along roadways, and then they end up picking up uh, their canoes in Appleton and then uh, end up making the rest of the journey by, uh, by boat. So mm. they get, uh, in one fell swoop, they really get to see the entire breadth of the watershed. Uh, and it's interesting uh, to hear them when they come back, their, their stories of the trip and what they saw and what was of interest to them, uh, what they noticed in the different segments of the river. It's really mm. kind of neat to listen to. And and who else uses the trails um, that that you're aware of? Do you have a, some kind of a record keeping system? <laughs> we uh, we don't have record keeping any more than just anecdotal evidence. I know uh, they're very popular with uh, local users, local hikers, uh, local runners. Um, but it's also a, quite a draw for people coming into the area. We make our trail maps available at local chambers of commerce, and we're continually uh, restocking those as uh, they're really popular for people coming to the area, even just for a day. Um, some of our trail sections are short enough that you can go uh, just for an hour or two and get a really pleasant, exciting experience, uh, but not have to devote a full day to it. Mm. And are you, you said you're working with chambers of commerce. Do you have a sense um, that the communities are, are supporting the idea of, of um, both the individual trail sections and the possibility of a more a robust uh, canoe and, and hiking uh, connection throughout the watershed? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the feedback that we've, that we've only ever received is positive, uh, and certainly by the level of use of the trail, that's indicative of that. And then also um, word that with the groups that we end up working with, whether it's the Chambers of Commerce, local towns, um, the state, other area groups or entities, uh, everybody's always excited to, to get outside and use the trails, and we're certainly happy to, to make that happen.
Mm. And I understand that um, so my, my colleague, uh, Les Hyde, who is part of this story from, from the beginning, I think, mm-hmm, um, yes. um, that there's some work going on in the town of St. George with the Conservation uh, Commission there. And uh, what's that story? Yeah, part of the uh, the long-term goal of the George's Highland Path in particular is, was to have a continuous trail from the top of the watershed to the bottom of the watershed, which would include the St. George Peninsula. Uh, so that has been in talks since the beginning. Uh, we just haven't got there yet uh, until recently. We just entered into a partnership with the town, who's very excited to... Uh, to expand the George's Highland Pass to the St. George Peninsula. They've got a, a couple of community trails already built down there, um, but we're going to work with the town uh, to connect two distinct trails together. Uh, it'll be part of the, the larger George's Highland Pass uh, trail system, um, and then we'll see where we can go from there. But uh, really excited just based on the level of support from the community and the interest to uh, to really push this along is, uh, has been amazing to see. Mm. What, what are your favorite... Um, parts of the trail. What were, if, you, if you were to, to ha- have a day and you said, I'm going to go hiking, where would you go? Oh, uh, I'm partial to uh, those sections of trails that get you up really high just because it's a view of this area that you don't get to see when you're driving around. Um, and I spend quite a bit of time out on the land, but it's mostly at sea level. So it's always nice, <laughs> it's always nice to get up uh, on a ridgeline, uh, whether that be Ragged Mountain or Bruce Mountain uh, here in Rockport. It's nice to, I love just looking at it, Penobscot Bay and all the islands. It's really quite a, a fantastic sight. Yeah, unless you're in an airplane, you don't get that. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Jay Hall, how, how would folks learn more about um, your work at George's River Land Trust? Uh, easiest way is probably just going to our website. We've got information there about uh, not only what the Land Trust does, but also uh, our conservation trail system. And any any uh, thoughts um, that you'd like to share with listeners who might be saying, "Gee, I'd like a I'd like a trail in my town or my village." What would you say to them? I would say get uh, find some other like-minded folks, and uh, if you already have a connection with them, great. If not, um, the best way to find like-minded folks is. Uh, there's probably some organization in your area that holds uh, activities and events, trail hikes, um, informational walks, things like that, where you'll uh, be thrown together with people that uh, that are also have an interest in that. And that's one way to start that connection. But um, getting a group of people together and really thinking seriously about it, and whether there's uh, other uh, expertise that you can bring into the fold, whether that's an organization uh, like a land trust that's pretty adept at uh, working with trails or uh, Appalachian Mountain Club or something like that. Um, I think that's a good way to start is just getting people in your community uh, working together and kind of finding that shared vision of what you're looking for. And every community has got maybe a little bit different shared vision, but there's uh, there's ways of working together with not only your, your neighbors but also uh, local organizations. Stephanie? Yeah, I just wanted to add one of those uh, great organizations to work with is the National Park Service has a program called the Rivers and Trails Conservation Assistance Program. We've used them twice uh, for two of our village connector trails and uh, from everything from helping us through thinking the route to um, wetlands permitting to finding the ultimate trail consultants who will help us build some of these more technical structures. So um, it's a publicly funded group, and uh, you can find them through the National Park Service. There are two folks in Maine, um, Burnham Martin and Julie Isbell, located in Brunswick. Um, they will travel throughout the state. So I just wanted to uh, plug that that's an excellent program to tune into to help your group in terms of making it through the trail planning and building process. That's great. Well, Jay, thanks thanks for being with us. Uh, Paul had a comment, so don't leave us yet. No, and Maine Woods Forever also used the uh, National Park Service help, and Burnham was very helpful to us in the Thoreau Wabanaki Trail. Great. So it is a wonderful resource. Great. Well, Jay, we're going to let you go because we're going to open our phone lines, but thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. That was Jay Astle, with, who's the trails coordinator at George's River Land Trust. Now it's your turn as well. We'd love to hear from you about your experience with trails in your local community or perhaps your questions for our guests. Um, I'll uh, list our phone numbers. They are uh, toll-free 1-866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500. That's one 866 625-9378. In the studio, as we talk about connecting trails and towns, are Mike Little of the Island Heritage Trust down Deer Isle, Stonington Way, Stephanie Clement, Friends of Acadia in Bar Harbor, and Paul Johnson of Maine Woods Forever. He's based in Oakland, but Maine Woods Forever is 
is Olive Maine. Statewide. <laughs> Statewide. So we hope that, that you may call with your questions or comments, one 625 Well, we've heard lots of different ways that, um, that uh, all of you have uh, gotten started. What kind of keeps you going? What, what, uh, do you get out on, on the trails? Uh, Paul, you go, go salmon fishing occasionally. Um, you, you're out there. Absolutely. I've, I've taken part in the campsite development on uh, on the East Branch, which was wonderful. Uh, my career in Greenville, I didn't spend much time outside of my region, so this has given me a chance to expand my horizons in Maine and, and look at the East Branch of the Penobscot, which is a just a fascinating river. Mm-hmm. Wonderful place. And and Mike, in terms of the the volunteers who help you out uh, specifically on the trails, what what uh, kind of gets them charged up? Why do they like building trails? <laughs> I, well, I think you should be asking them. <laughs> uh, I think, but I think it's peop- it's a it's a chance to get out, be out there, be working with other people. People like to work together on yes. things, and so you're working together with people. Um, you're giving something to your community organization. In this case, the the trust, uh-huh. uh, and uh, we're working hard. I've got a part time volunteer coordinator, who's we're trying to make the volunteer experience even better. So people come out and work with us. They, we bring coffee and donuts out uh, to the trail, so uh, you know it's it's a it's a little community experience. I remember stories of early land trust days in in Maine, and and there, there seemed to be uh, two groups of people making up land trusts: those who wanted to build trails, <laughs> and those who were concerned about those, but also about the that bigger picture of of um, land conservation in general. But there's something about it that uh, wants. Well, people there's still to that. There. There's still those two groups. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. There are people that that want to conserve, think about conserving the big picture, and then there are those who want to see about how they can get out there, uh-huh. either walk the trails or 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 build trails, you know, and think about getting people into the woods. Right. So. What's your experience, Stephanie, in terms of, of why volunteers get involved in these kinds of things? Well, I hate to say it, but people love to be destructive also. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really a lot of fun to go out and to clip brush and to um, cut that path through the woods. Uh-huh. That's really, it's it's a fun activity. And we have been successful at getting um, groups like the Ellsworth High School wrestling team out to work on trails for that very purpose. Uh-huh. You know, it's fun to get together and destroy stuff. So, <laughs> Well, and, and there's something, too, I think, about um, when you're done, you get something that you can kind of point to as a legacy. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the Youth Conservation Corps um, that's gone on in different guises for many years where kids are involved. Uh, these are high school kids for the most part. And um, I know that they have great pride when they can take their parents around and say, I made that trail, or I helped with those steps. Um, you know, those those are the kinds of things that are legacy kinds of, of, of gifts of, of time. Exactly. And the other um, aspect I think that's really a gift uh, to young people in particular is walking along the trail and seeing a moose track or a bear track or having a spruce grouse fly out from underneath you. It's kind of those charismatic megafauna wow moments in the state <laughs> that really, I think, really makes that connection to nature that will keep the kids returning, too. Right, right. one 625 9378 Tell us about a trail in your community, or perhaps you've got um, questions for our guests as we talk about connecting trails and towns. Um, Stephanie, you've mentioned uh, young people and local schools. Um, the school in, in Trenton is a is something that's, that may be connected to the the, uh, the site that you're working on at the visitor center in Trenton. Um, what's been the reaction of local schools in terms of trails? Well, it's I think everyone is very excited about the concept. Um, the Trenton school was very thrilled to think about the idea of taking classrooms out into the field, but close by, actually, so they didn't have to involve busing or any of those extra expenses, but to have an outdoor classroom, really. Mm. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we do run into, we at Friends of Acadia are more comfortable working on the actual legal agreements with landowners, especially when connecting to the National Park, because that's a public investment that is being made on behalf of the U.S. government, so we want to make sure that that trail will remain there Mm. in a longer time frame. So when when you work on those kinds of legal agreements with landowners, sometimes things move at a glacial pace. Um, and unfortunately, with the connection to Trenton, at, with the elementary school, at this point, we did run into landowners who weren't interested in having the trail cross their properties. Um, so that's not an option at this point. But um, moving forward, our, our goal is really to have the trail built, uh, the 1.8-mile loop, 
um, to encourage maybe classrooms to go there to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in hopes as more residents get used to the idea of what a great resource it is in their backyard, to then be able to approach landowners again and say, you know, have you been out? Have you used the trail? What, what would you think now? That mm. kind of thing. Mike or Paul, are there other school connections that, that you have, Mike? you got school connections with some of the trails on Deer Isle Stonington area? Well, um, the uh, Island Heritage Trust has a, a school program, and uh, we've set up with the elementary school that the each grade, first uh, kindergarten through eighth, visits a different preserve twice uh, during that school year, that school time. And we've got programs worked out so that that we've worked with the teachers to try and make them appropriate to the classes and fit in with the, and I can't remember what they call them now, but they used to call them the learning standards. Yes. Uh, they keep changing the names of those programs. Uh, and so these, and so the kids get out, get familiar with the preserve. They visit a couple times, and they and they have some learning opportunity there. Great. But in our case, we have to bus them. Uh, we do have one teacher on our uh, on our uh, trail committee, and she's very interested in getting this beyond the Deer Isle Village and up to the school because there. But there, there again, we have landowners up there. We haven't even begun to talk to <laughs> about going out behind the school. Great. We've got some phone calls. Let's uh, take those. one 625 9378 Let's take our first call. If you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Sure. This is Linda. I'm in Penobscot. Great. And I just wanted to make a plug for the Youth Conservation Corps. In 1974, I worked one summer for YCC at Acadia. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> and I always had a, a thrill for outdoors, but YCC gave me skills. Hmm. I can chop down a tree like you wouldn't believe. But <laughs> <laughs> Linda, do you, do you remember that I was probably there? Yes, Yes, Ron. okay, okay. <laughs> At that time, I, well, I won't online, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, I, I just wish all kids could have a chance to... Um, you know, again, gain the appreciation and the skills that I gained working with other kids. Um, you know, we were, um, we worked with a park ranger for a few days or maybe longer, I can't remember, and uh, shadowed them. And, and it's a, it led to a lifetime appreciation for me. Oh, that's great. And uh, Stephanie and I were actually talking about perhaps a reunion of YCC, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, Linda, Linda, if you would send us your information, that way we can make sure that you get the announcement if we do it. Oh, yes, most definitely. Thank you. (laughs) You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Okay. Let's go ahead with a second call. Go ahead with your uh, first name, if you'd like to share that, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Oh, yes, this is Dan from Surrey. Great. Oh, yeah, I'm just calling, uh, and I just would like to uh, uh, just uh, pose the question about uh, how things are going uh, with uh, accessibility for uh, people with disabilities mm. as far as uh, trails in general and, and how things have been going. You know, I mean, it's, it's, a long, it's a long question. It'll probably take a, a little while to answer. But in general, uh, how is that going in, this, in the state and in this area? As far as uh, you know, wheel, wheelchair access and things like that, or, or is that something that uh, uh, hasn't you know hasn't really been touched upon yet, or or I don't you know just in general, how's it going? <laughs> great, great question. Thanks so much for calling today um, from Surrey. Uh, I'll list the phone number and we'll, then we'll take some comments from our guests. If you'd like to call um, as we talk about connecting trails and towns here on WERU's Talk of the Towns, give us a call at one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. Stephanie, I know that your work is is uh, bound to to work on accessibility issues. Yes, um, the Park Service actually has done quite a bit of work over the last couple of years trying to turn some of the trails in Acadia into uh, more accessible trails. For instance, um, at the top of Cadillac Mountain, there used to be stairs that prohibited people from accessing any portion of the loop trail that's paved around the top. Um, And so some of the Acadia Trails Forever funding uh, matched Park Service funding that turned a portion of that trail into a wheelchair accessible path. So it's not the entire loop, but it's at least a portion. Same with at Jordan Pond. Now you can uh, use a wheelchair around the entire um, nature loop that's there right 
not around the pond itself, but there's a, an interpretive nature trail that's accessible now. Um, we do run into barriers uh, with some of the footpaths, um, particularly I will mention out at Trenton, one of the issues that we ran into was a portion of the trail crosses lands that had been set aside for wetlands mitigation. So one of the uh, requirements in that regard is that you can't have impervious surface trails. And of course, wheelchairs need a, uh, a path that is either paved or crushed stone dust or something like that. Um, and even we asked the DEP, um, is a crushed stone surface considered impermeable? And the answer was yes. So. Um, there are issues like that that we wrestle with, um, and there are new guidelines actually that are nationwide about use of mobility devices that have to be allowed unless you do the inventory of the trail and make the case for why you can't accept certain mobility devices. So, um, and I know land trusts all across Maine are working on that issue for all of your trails, and same, uh, we'll have to do the same with our village connector trails, but. It's certainly a very important issue that I think is in the back of everyone's mind as you build or consider building a new trail. Mm. Mike, your experience? Uh, well, the uh, Island Heritage Trust just built our first uh, accessible trail. Uh, we acquired the Lily Pond Beach property, mm. uh, which is the only freshwater swimming on Deer Isle uh, two years ago. And part of that, our plans for that was to build an accessible trail into the beach so that uh, and uh, when it, we came talking about that, and yes, for wheelchairs and walkers, but uh, it was pointed out to me that uh, mothers with baby carriages mm. really appreciate uh, mm -hmm. an acce the, accessible, the accessible trails. And now our stewardship committee has been talking about where else, as part of that national, uh, where else could we possibly build, uh, uh, look to building trails on our properties, wh which properties would be appropriate uh, for uh, accessible trails. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have the uh, settlement quarry down in Stonington, which is an old granite quarry, and there's the main road up into the, I mean, it's not really wheelchair accessible, but we have actually worked at, uh, uh, with uh, people have uh, accessibility problems. We'll undo the chain and let them drive up so they can enjoy the view mm -hmm. out over the islands. Uh, they have to call the office. I mean, it's a little more complicated, but uh, that's that that was our accessibility. Now we have one trail, and we're going to be we're we're discussing more because it's a really important issue. Because mm. mm. we want everybody to get out there into the woods. The walking trail we're talking about probably would not be an accessible trail just because of the logistics of building long distance. Mm -hmm. Paul, any thoughts about that? Where it's a very important issue and a, a very difficult one to deal with in the backwoods country of Maine. Mm. I I think is, is from our organization's point of view. What we can make accessible is our kiosks, mm -hmm. uh, the sculptures in Greenville, um, and of course the printed information we have gives you visual access and, and references to the trail for, from which you can appreciate it. But mm. uh, a lot of the boat launches now uh, on Moosehead, on Chamberlain, do have access for people with disabilities. So, so just, just raising the issue in your in various groups allows then people to kind of ha scratch their heads at how can we do it and, yep. and uh, yep. to get at that work. Well, we're almost at the top of the hour. Um, we're talking about connecting trails and towns. Um, uh, maybe a quick go around. Are you seeing any trends that um, are particularly interesting that, that may uh, give us a, a sense of the future in, in trails work? Um, Stephanie, you mentioned um, some, some national issues and, and, uh, or national trends. Well, I, I think what Mike, I think Mike said it at the very beginning is that I really do feel like there's just a trend towards more interest in activity. Mm. Um, so really linking trails to physical activity in the outdoors, I think, is something that we're seeing an increased emphasis on. Okay. Paul, any, any thoughts about trends? No, I, I think you're right. I think more and more, more people want to get outdoors and, and we need them to get outdoors, to appreciate the resources that we have so we can encourage them to protect them. Great. Yeah. Mike? I'll, I'll just second all of those thoughts because it, uh, uh, physical activity is one of the things that people keep bringing up with our, when we talk about a, long distance, a longer distance trail because we have a lot of people that like to walk and on Deer Isle the roads are narrow and there are no shoulders and this would be an opportunity for people who want to, for health reasons, get out and walk a distance. As the, as the sign in my YMCA on Mount Desert Island says, exercise is medicine. 
<laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Great. And, and this notion of protection. We can't protect something that we don't know. So exactly. encouraging people to get outside. Yeah. So each of you, I assume, um, have um, websites. That's the ubiquitous way for people to find out more information. So I'm glad to, to have you with us. Uh, so Stephanie Clement, Friends of Acadia. Yes. Uh, website. Paul, Paul Johnson, Maine Woods Forever, a uh, website. No, actually it's Thoreau Wabanaki Trail. Great. Dot org. ThoreauWapanakiTrail.org. And uh, Mike? IslandHeritageTrust.org. Great. Well, thanks to all of you for being with us this morning. That's been a great conversation. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Island music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Mike Little of Island Heritage Trust, Stephanie Clement of Friends of Acadia, Paul Johnson of Maine Woods Forever, and Jay Astell of uh, George's River Land Trust who joined us by phone. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks for Amy Brown's engineering this morning. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Want to learn how to resolve conflicts more skillfully? 